one. Hello, everyone. This is the 10th episode of my scouting podcast. I'm Paul Duncan at The Footpaw, and today we have a special guest. We have the scouting coordinator with NFL Draft Bible, Ryan Roberts, with us. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm good, Paul. Everything is good on my end. How is everything for you? I'm doing great. So uh, this is going to be a really fun uh, episode because I'm the scouting coordinator over at Expand the Box Score, and uh, Ryan is the scouting coordinator with Draft Bible. So this could be a really great episode to really dive into like the nitty gritty on how we scout, what the kind of things we look for, and what kind of players we're really looking for, looking forward to, uh, to in the draft. But first, I feel it's uh, we should always get to know the person. But, uh, the person, the guest. Um, Ryan, how did you get started in football? Were you a, a big football family guy? Was football just part of your life growing up? Or did it come to you later? How did this get started for you? Yeah, so um, my family is a big sports family in general. Uh, my grandfather was, actually played football at East Carolina and also played um, minor league baseball for at that point was the Washington Senators, which is now the Minnesota Twins. And, uh, you know, sports has always been something very close to my heart. And I gravitated towards football really early in my life. My father was a, a diehard Notre Dame fan. He's also a Miami Dolphins fan. I, I didn't take his uh, path towards the Miami Dolphins side of everything, but I've been a hardcore Notre Dame fan since, you know, since I my first memory of, of watching the game. And then I really got really heavy into NFL probably when I was like eight years old. Uh, my mom was a Rams fan and uh, the greatest show on turf popped up that year when I was eight, you know, with Kurt Warner and Marshall Falk and Isaac Bruce and all those guys. And then, you know, I just got, it, it kind of encapsulated my love for a little bit there. So I started playing and, you know, played from nine years old up until, you know, high school was a pretty solid football player in high school, played uh, you know, a little bit, I'll say very little bit there, didn't last very long at, at Frostburg State University, had some shoulder injuries, was a linebacker. So, you know, it, the minute your your uh, shoulders go when you're playing linebacker, it's, uh, it's pretty much downhill at that point. You don't have much left. So it was just kind of staying around the game. I went back to my old high school, coached, and I was coaching in, at a couple high schools here in New Jersey for like seven years, doing some freelance writing on the side, nothing serious. And, you know, I just started, you know, kind of eyeing my way. And then we, we, uh, me and my buddy started this company called inside the hashes, which I think they're still going, but that was, um, our first exploit into really heavy into the, the football industry, trying to get our names out there and scouting. And, and for me, evaluation was something I was always really interested in. My dad was a big NFL draft fan, you know, my entire life. So that was kind of like a, sacred three days in my household for a long time. So eventually I'm just doing some freelance writing for a few different sites. And I had the fortune of touching base with Rick Saratella early last year and, you know, just kind of talking back and forth. And I saw he had been doing work with the NFL PA bowl on top of NFL draft Bible. And, uh, you know, we, we got a chance to meet face to face and things just, you know, I, I kind of got, um, he offered me the opportunity to do some scouting reports for the company and I've just taken on that expanded role at that point. It's it's just grown in a very short amount of time, which has just been a true blessing for me. So, I mean, to, to, with a long-rated response, my, football has always been, you know, a part of my family, a part of my love. 
And, you know, obviously I'm, I'm married, have a, have a baby on the way, but I always tell my wife, you know, football was the first love, no offense to you. So it's just always been something that's been there for me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I like, I always just say like, what is it? What about me makes me different? Or how would you like to fact, um, like describe yourself like for like interviews when you're talking with football people? And I just say, I just love football. It's like, even when there isn't football going on, I'm thinking like in the middle of June after the draft, I'm thinking, how can we, how can I make a draft? uh, Get film so we can scout, uh, scout players when nobody else is doing things and nobody else is even thinking about football. How can we get football content, football content out there? So it's like, there are, there are people and you gotta, you gotta find them. There's, there's lots of just casual fans, lots of people who are just fans to, uh, gamble and win money on football games or beat their friends at fantasy football but then there's like another level of fandom where it's like you just want to be around football as often as you can and i i have that in spite of the fact that like my family was not really a football family my me growing up like it was like pretty much the entire family stopped watching football after the kaepernick thing so it was like that kind of shows how committed they were to football so it's um I had to go and find people like go going to the senior bowl connecting and I had to like find people myself. And that was, what's been kind of one of the great things about building a team with expand the box score is like, I've got 13 people who are counting on, uh, who are counting on me and Cyril to um, make sure that a draft guide gets out and make sure that their, their work gets seen and that they're going to be considered respected people, uh, respected football minds. And it's just it's just been great to try to create something that is like valid and real and gets to highlight how much we love football and how much we're willing to study the game. Yeah, absolutely. And that's always been something I've really kind of yearned for for a while there after, you know, I stopped playing and I was just kind of, you know, coaching and doing different things. I, I it's it was always the search to find th- that team that you're talking about, right? Because there's nothing better than just be able to sit down and talk football with people and make it easy conversation. And luckily, I've been able to, with my role in Draft Bible, talk to Rick Saratella every day, talk to David Turner, who was in the game for 18 years, talk to John Murphy on weekends. Like we're, we're I, we have people a part of this company that just love talking ball. You know, that's the basis of what we do. And that's the basis of what makes it so special for me. Cause I, I mean, I could do this 24 seven. And again, you could ask my wife about that. Like I, I just like show her plays sometimes I'll just take, bring over my all 22 clips. And I'm just like, oh, look at this play. And she'll be like, oh, that's awesome, babe. You know, she, she's, uh, you know, she's very supportive of it, but it's nice to be able to have a group of people and a group of, of football lovers that you can easily just talk to and you know that they love it as much as you do. It's just it, it's just an awesome feeling to be part of a team like that. Yeah, because sadly, I, I mean, unless your unless your wife is uh, more knowledgeable about football than I think she is, I doubt she's going to be able to tell you about the uh, talk about the in-depth things of inside zone runs or uh can recognize a man cover too yeah so well, well she well luckily i did find i did find a, a a woman that does really like football so she doesn't bust my balls about not watching it on the weekend so i have full access and i always tell her you know she has she has some trouble it's funny paul she has some trouble um sleeping at night so i'm like here just think about cover two cover two zone uh, think about where the where the soft spots are. It'll put you to sleep really quick, and then you know she'll just like punch me in the arm and be like, "Just leave me alone. Let me go to bed." So. 
Oh, excellent. It's all, yep. Good, good family dynamics. Mix it with your hobbies. Mm, amazing. Makes, makes my heart feel warm. I hope I can get to that. Uh, hope I can get to that point, uh, someday. All right. So uh, one of the, uh, things that, or how I first uh, came across you was you helped um you helped me and the group after we left uh, draft right for those of you who don't know um the first um the project originally started with draft right where we had a little bit less than what we have now uh, staff wise um, writing scouting reports um, for draft right there was um the uh, founder. Uh, John started getting way too political with his tweets and was starting to receive um, more flack from the uh, community, and we didn't feel comfortable working with a uh, person who, running the site, cared more about trying to be like Ben Shapiro on Twitter than an actual football guy. So we decided. Uh, so we decided to leave, and we were the hot scouting free agents for a little bit. And uh, that's when uh, Ryan started giving giving us names and trying to introduce us um, to people who could help us find a home. Uh, yeah. How did you uh, how did you hear about how did you hear about us individually, and what do you think the uh, scouting blog landscape is like now? And I get yeah. Yeah, um, so I, I I followed along pretty closely when you all were at Draft Right because I I really felt like. John Vogel and Eric Hindenburg, like they had something that was going really well there. You guys had obviously a big staff that was pumping out a lot of content and there was good content being put out. So when everything happens and I see Eric has recovered a little bit and he's got his thing going over there at draft, right. As, as the, uh, I guess owner, ipso facto owner now. So I'm, I'm glad to see that. But when everything happened with Vogel, you know, I, I, uh, we had a few run-ins and I, I'll just keep it at that he's not a great person and everything fell right from under him. And he lost what was again, a a quality staff that was putting out a lot of content. And I I think it was Cyril, if I remember correctly, that I just inboxed me and say, Hey man, like we have this, this so many scouts, um, a part of our staff that are ready to just jump ship and go to find a new home. Do you have any recommendations? And I I think I recommended a couple places before um, you all opted uh, opted for expand the box score. Uh, And I'm just I was just happy to see that you guys stay together because that was that I mean, that could have been the worst situation where one person could have potentially broken up a bunch of, you know, what is a solid group and a solid nucleus of evaluators. So obviously you were able to stay together there. And, um, you know, I feel like there's so many blogs, which is why, like when Jesse Fritch talks about, you know, the the perfect draft website, right? Which, you know, I feel like we have a really, really awesome website over at like Draft Bible. But like to think about potentially people banding together and then using everybody's expertise to create something that is new and something that is real is a really interesting conversation because there's just so many blogs. I feel like new ones pop up so often and there's always going to be the one, the mainstream ones that are going to, you know, last. Uh, unfortunately, you know, money cu- uh, is a, is a big dictator of how long things last sometimes. But, you know, I feel like when you have a group like you guys do that love it, that genuinely love doing what you do and have good relationships between one another, then, opportunity is always going to be there. So I, I just hope personally from my perspective to you guys that you stick together and then, you know, obviously with the, with the future successes that you continue to grow and then, you know, see what happens kind of in the, in the industry type of thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, like not only are we, would I consider that all the people I work with, like my coworkers, partners in scoutings, like I've developed like friendships with these people, like ta- talking uh, talking about Twitter over like non uh, non football things and making uh joining together to talk about like music tastes or anything and it's like especially in the world we live in today where like isolation is like a a huge huge deal like I swear I had like so many friends in college but then once once I graduated and had to move had to move back uh back home I'm not in the same town as where I am in high school sometimes I feel like I legit have three uh three friends and they all live 40 miles away have um being able to build relationships and friendships with like people just over football even though they're like all the way around the the country has been so so crucial it's been really giving me like joy and what would otherwise be just like a terrible year for me so that's just been go ahead it's it's been the same thing for me too you know just to cut in there for a second like obviously i have my wife and i have my family but everything like you said the isolation because i actually I'm a teacher as well. I teach middle school, sixth and seventh grade. And the, my biggest fear going back to school here for some of these students, right, right, is that they the socialization aspect of everything because we're fully virtual right now. It's scary not having friends, not being able to be with your friends all the time. And it is really nice to even through the challenges and, and being isolated that, you know, you, you can get on a Skype call or a Zoom call with some guys and just watch football and watch film and do all type of stuff. It, it really does really supplement what is um, missing in this in this uh, crazy world, to say the least, right now. Yeah, it's like because uh, the job I was doing before coronavirus was I was an usher and a ticket taker for the Cleveland Cavaliers and the uh, Cleveland Indians. I have a sport management degree, and my goal was always to go from Hey, I've got a sport management degree. If I start myself at the bottom, I'm a very natural, um, naturally sociable, charismatic person. I mean, I, I get people like now I'm working at Taco Bell because coronavirus and I can get people to laugh at my jokes at the drive through. I love seeing people and handing that handing them their food and telling them to have a nice day and being 100 percent genuine when I say it. And seeing like how so many of the jobs are just, all right, here's a telephone that connects to your computer that you can keep in your house. That'll keep you busy. It's like, oh, <laughs> I just like dealing with people in person for them to uh, see my smile, um, see my smiling face or currently with the mask, my smiling eyes is something that's like so, <laughs> so, val- uh, so valuable and something that. I think going forward, we're going to need to have like that conversation just totally as a society of what can we do to increase socialization amongst the people. And hey, football's helping. <laughs> oh, no, no doubt about that. And it's I mean, it's it's really just a scary it's, it, it, parts of it are just really scary right now. I mean, again, like just like I like being in the classroom teaching people, you know, what, what whatever I'm teaching, like that, that socialization, that understanding of is a student getting it type of thing. Right. But like when you're over the computer where these students can just keep their video off, they can't, they're on mute. Like it's just very tough, not only from the ability to teach them, but also the building of relationships. I went into this year, you know, always trying to, to get a good relationship between me and my students. And this year it was not able to be done because it's it, it there's only so much you can do online you know there's only so mm-hmm. much that can again supplement 
that relationship building in person. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's so crucial. As one of those students who um, would consider um, whose best friends in high school at towards the later end were actually some of my teachers that um, no, um seeing like a bond that a teacher can have with a student who you just kind of like get it with them. You like the same stuff. Uh, it normally happens more in high school than middle school. But yeah, that's just that is just so uh, so crucial. So how did um, you learn about scouting? I'm not I don't quite know exactly your scouting methods and, and or scales, but um, where did where did they come from? Who have been your huge big influences in uh, in scouting? Um, so I, I originally like when I was doing this strictly as a hobby, I had various scales that I I'm kind of a perfectionist. So it was never like, you know, this scale is the end all be all. I felt like I was kind of rephrasing it every draft cycle to, to in preparation. And I, I have a scale similar to the one that like David Turner had when he was in the NFL, uh, part of the Raiders and the Panthers and all those teams. He worked off of a nine point scale. Mine's based on off of a 10 point scale just to make, I feel like it makes it a little cleaner, you know, up to a 9.0 can be like a little like, Oh, why isn't it to a 10? So like to the, to the, you know, average fan, I feel like 10.0 is a pretty clean, um, kind of go, going up to a scale. So um, obviously each position is graded dependent on, you know, the position specifics, uh, traits that I value at each position. And then that is uh, that is added up, divided, and then we get the final grade and determine, depending on where the grade is, what caliber of player that I have. So like if, if you haven't been – and if anybody hasn't been to like a Friday night scout school, it is very similar to how David Turner's scale is where again, all the way up to a 9.0 scale, but he has in, in each bucket, they'll have the caliber of player also accordance to this is the draft selection, the draft window that they should probably be selected within heading down. And um, I could say for my scale that I do now as an independent scout, there is, only so much that we get access to outside of what we see on the on Saturdays, right? And I'm talking about the official when you go to the combine, you get the medicals back, you're able to sit face to face with the player. So I don't put the heaviest emphasis on injuries and medicals and that relationship building as a NFL team would, because obviously they have a lot more access to that type of stuff than I do currently right now. So my scale is always a raw scale. This is what the tape says to me. This is what my eyes are seeing. And then I'll, I'll red flag things like if like, oh, this is a player that I think is a high second round caliber player has immediate impact potentially. But, hey, they have, you know, two ACL tears in their past. Like I'll put a, a little, you know, red mark next to them. Like this is something to consider. This is what the type of player they are on film. But there are other ath- um, attributes that you need to consider there. But unfortunately, sometimes in independent scouting, even though I feel like we do get a lot of inside information, there are some things that are very specific towards what NFL teams are able to know and that are not released as public as um, as a lot of things are. Yeah, I think one of the more difficult things for um, for like being an independent scout is you're not scouting. If you're scouting for one team, you're scouting for one team. You know that the the linebacking coach and the defensive linebacker wants their middle linebackers to be fast and uh, that they think that they can coach up 
any player who has any tackling issues. So they would uh, they would actually prefer, say, a linebacker who would have an eight for play speed, say, which would be pretty much like elite, like a top ten fast linebacker in the NFL from day one, even if they ha- would have a four for tackling for being uh, below uh, below average for an NFL player, like even below average for like a backup. So that the fact that we do not have like any type of preference and that we are scouting for all teams really makes me have to um, make my scale in comparison to what's already in the already in the NFL. So you can actually look at the traits that we have. Every single position has eight traits that we give a trait grade to. And if that team can would prefer to have faster players, better tackling players, they, you can actually see with each individual trait grade um, what that player does well. And then for overall grades, we also have a nine point scale, but it's really more like goes to seven. Um, like I think the highest graded player I gave last year was like Joe Burrow and Isaiah Simmons at a 7.2. Trevor Lawrence might touch like seven four, seven five, but uh, seven just means that that player will be an impact player rookie year, um, straight out straight out the gate. So like an above average starter, an impact player right out the gate. Usually there will be no more than like ten to fifteen of those players any given year, and then going down each. Um, each grade we would give with attributes to a role more so than it does a um, like round grade. And uh, this apparently is uh, Belichickian from what I've what I understand, because when he gives out grades, like he, he never views players as like, oh, this is a first rounder. This is a second rounder. It's actually not usually what scouts would uh, use or the type of language that they use. They would want to say, oh, this guy is a guy who can be a reserve corner year one, but can slide into the slot year two. They usually describe things as roles. And that's why what we, um, every number we give out for our overall grades attaches to a role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I like, I like that because, um, and I, I'm going to speak to David Turner's scale that we share on Friday night scout school a little bit is he has, not only does he have the, the characteristics and the label of like what you're saying of this is this caliber of player. This is a role player. This is a, potential starter year one. This is a developmental guy. He also has um, the grades accordingly to not only does he have it breaking down like early first round grade, he has it. Hey, this guy is a rare player. This is a player that is going to be drafted pick one through four. And he has it broken down kind of multi-layered, but I, I completely agree with you in the sense of it's very difficult to be an independent scout and this, this is like – so I've had so many kind – of, I don't want to say arguments, but I've had so many back and forth on this concept because I have a coaching background. So I feel like I have a good sense of, hey, 4-3 scheme, 3-4 scheme, different coverages, different types of offenses, like dif- different things that is like a coach's eye type of thing. I think that that is so important and even maybe more important in, to a degree for independent scouts because like you said, to – to really show what a player can do and where a player fits best. Like if I'm, if I'm looking at a, at an edge prospect and I think that he is a three, four player because he doesn't quite have the length and physicality to last, you know, in a three point stance at all points. But I think that he can be 
an edge setter in the run game, but I think that his best attribute is him pass rushing. You need to understand that, hey, in a three, you can't just say he's a three, four edge. Like he's a three, four rush backer. He's not a three, four Sam because a three, four Sam is going to be put out on slot receivers a bunch. They're going to be in the apex. They're going to be doing stuff in space. I really think understanding schemes and the understanding that, hey, I'm never going to know enough about these schemes, but to be the best independent scout that I possibly can be, that thirst for knowledge, I think that really it's really important. It really needs to be there to understand, hey, he's going to fit well in Seattle because I know that Seattle's corners, they play a ton of cover three, and this is what they are going to look for in a cover three corner. I think that just the, the marriage of that understanding of scheme and also being able to under um, understand and evaluate prospects is so important to really put a finger on what a player's potential best um, best fit is. And that's not just fit schematically because when people read stuff, they want to know, okay, they fit this scheme. Well, who runs this scheme? What team would they fit best? I feel like everyone wants to know like, oh, what are best team fits? What are best team fits? I don't, I don't think that people can have a full understanding unless they really understand what a left tackle in a certain a zone blocking scheme, like what that scheme would value specifically. Mm-hmm. Oh my, what you said is one of the biggest mantras and one of the most important things that we are focusing on with, um, tra- with training our, uh, with training our scouts is just how important a uh, scheme is. Uh, we're, we have uh, all of our scouts are assigned to two or three team NFL teams, and they're going to like watch all all of their games, all 22, and have a good knowledge of what they're running. And the marriage between a team and a player is probably just as knowing that it's probably just as important as no, trying to figure out where they're going to be ranked. Because when you have like a perfect marriage between team and player, that's when things like DK Metcalf were, were to happen. I mean, I know DK Metcalf, everyone likes to do the joke of, oh, but he had a bad three cone drill. But even in the NFL, like I wouldn't really be wanting DK Metcalf running super complex, uh, like complex routes. I wouldn't want him to be running digs and slants all days or play action crossers. If you were to put him in a situation like that, I don't, I don't think anybody would be calling DK Metcalf a top 10 receiver or whatever people are calling him now. But the fact that he's with the Seahawks, a team that runs lots of vertical routes, that he has a quarterback who is the best deep, um, deep path thrower in the game. Um, you recognize that DK Metcalf is in the perfect situation to use the things that he does well. And like, there are certain positions like corner um, that like, if a player goes to a wrong team, then it's just like, there's no chance. Uh, Like I always mentioned Trayvon Diggs, that um, Trayvon Diggs was a really good man corner and you should value the fact that he's a really good man corner than the um, more so than you devalue him for not being a good zone corner because the Falcons aren't going to draft Trayvon Diggs because he doesn't fit their system. But the Cowboys are going to draft Trayvon Diggs because he does fit their system. So always knowing what the player can do and not um, focusing more on that than more so than focusing on what the player struggles with because Generally speaking, teams are pretty smart, don't you think? Like GM scouts, they tend to know what they're talking about and aren't going to draft players that specifically do not fit their system. Yeah, no, absolutely. Unless you're the Browns. Unless you're the Browns, that's a good point. I I, I would agree 100% though. And I, I, it's so funny because evaluators miss, general managers miss, 
scouts miss all the time. It happens. There's a, lo- a lot of times there's a lot of layers to why, pe- why people miss. But it's just so funny because then there will be people on Twitter or just in general that will say like, oh, how did you miss on this guy? How did you miss on this guy? Well, I didn't know who was drafting him. I didn't know what situation he was going into. My draft boards might completely move and and move not to like say like – you know, their traits are going to be any different, but Hey, I might value this guy a little higher depending on what team he's drafted to, you know, seeing that, that quarterback class with Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold and Josh Allen and and Lamar Jackson, like it, it would have completely changed my opinion on a couple of those guys. If I would have known exactly what system they were going into, who their offensive coordinator was, what the situation is. I feel like people don't talk enough about situation. Like if you would have told me before the draft that Sam Darnold was going to the jets, Baker Mayfield was going to the Browns. I probably would not have been as high as I was. You know, I wasn't a super high guy on Mayfield, but I was a believer in Sam Darnold for instance. And then he goes to the jets and Hey, at that point, if if he's as if he's so good that he can transcend a bad situation, that's awesome. But usually those guys are very few and far between. We we always talk about the generational talents, which is such an overused terminology for for grading a player. But you know, maybe if Trevor Lawrence was in that situation, maybe he does relatively okay because hey, maybe he can transcend a little bit of the shortcomings that some teams have. Yeah. Oh well, Trevor Lawrence is just one of those players that like there isn't a system that he can't like have success in i mean he's got the arm strength to get to to push the ball to all parts of the field he's got the accuracy to to hit wide receivers in stride he has the athleticism to be a threat on read options qb draws to be the that kind of guy in the uh, red zone i mean the one knock you could potentially give to him is that his decision making he might throw throws a little bit too many interceptions but most of the interceptions he throws it's like oh trevor lawrence just thinks he's a big baller and can make make that throw in so it's like i i don't know what kind of system wouldn't want a strong-armed athletic quarterback who was accurate but when certain players um, lack certain traits, say like a linebacker who um, doesn't really have the the strength or the moves to be a good pass rusher, you might want him to be in coverage more. Or running backs who can't really catch out of the backfield but can are do well do well enough at pass blocking. Those are kind of the things that you would um, look for. And uh, I also want to circle back to the um, roles. Um, so here's a little example of the grades that we um, we have set for, um, for overall grades. So like the final grade given to a player. And I'm going to use wide receiver at, um, at an example. And uh, I want you to kind of compare what we have to what you have. So for wide receiver, a 7.0 plus is a number one option from day one, a receiver with all the critical traits and more. And some examples of that would be C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy were both 7.0s in our system last year. We are anticipating them to come in and be an impact wide receiver right away. Uh, 6.9 to 6.8 is a year one second option. Should be a solid starter year one. That is kind of where we would, uh, where we expected somebody like uh, DK Metcalf when he when he originally came out, and guys like uh, Justin Jefferson and uh, Henry Ruggs were in that range um, for last year. And then 6.7 is a year one third option who has the potential uh, to be a high-end second option or first option later in his career, like T. Higgins or Michael Pittman. 
And then when you go down to 6564, it's a year one third option who is able to become just like a second year option without really that potential to shoot up to a one later on. Uh, and then 6-3 to 6-1 is like a fourth wide receiver year one. Potential to be second to third eventually, maybe. And then the 6.0 is a developmental wide receiver, a wide receiver with elite traits who would need time to develop. So those are the guys that are running four threes at six six foot three, but never really showed any uh, anything on tape. Uh, they'll usually have some trait grades that are like sevens, eights, but other trait grades that are usually are threes, fours, and fives. I can't really think of a good, Jalen Hurd might be uh, an example of that. Usually when I describe 6.0s or developmental players, I always mention like Cardale Jones or or, uh, Tyree Jackson, or there's usually a lot of like tight ends who would fit fit that range, like Dawson Knox. Um, So that's kind of, we have like a little spot for like super high upside players that aren't going to contribute in their first two years. And then 5.9 to 5.8 is going to be a depth wide receiver who must provide special teams value. Really good chance of make a 53-man roster. And then 5.7, 5.6 is the PFA with a decent chance. Practice squad kind of guy. And then a 5.5 to a 5.4 is just kind of like a PF, PFA. Hey, he might he, he has a chance at making a roster, but not really that great one. Definitely a training camp invite. So that's kind of the st- scale we have. And it kind of um, tr- it focuses on roles and it it scales down for every single position. Gotcha. Yeah. So, um, similarly, I'm um, just kind of running through it quick without, without, you know, being too long winded with it. Again, I, I have a, I have a 10 point scale, which is again, very similar to how David Turner, cause he's the guy that has really been um, a big help early, um, you know, recently in my career. I've assimilated a lot of what I do to to um, mirror him to a degree. I've obviously changed a few things, but the vocabulary and the understanding of the grading scale is all pretty well intact. So it's it's basically like the first not like 9.0 to 10.0, which would be an 8.0 to 9.0 on his scale. It fluctuates between every couple um, windows in there. So the highest would be an elite player exceptional player and then down to a very good player which are all key players that would be first round selections and would also have an impact relatively early into their career the next threshold down from which would be um which would be from a 7.0 i'm sorry 9.0 in my scale down to an 8.0 would be like more in that second round range where we're talking about good players but um like consistent performers but might not have the upside to being um, a player that would be a high volume wide receiver, but definitely have a role within the system relatively early in their career, moving down to the average starters, valuable reserve, valuable reserves into that same bucket. And then we go into the backup roles into the next, the next window of evaluation. And it kind of structures itself, you know, pretty regularly to quality players down all the way to where, um, so David has it in his where a 2.1 player is an injured player, which you don't have enough film to evaluate. And then a 2.0 would be a reject. Mine would be the similar thing. It would just be a 3.1 and a 3.0. So a 3.1, if there is not enough film to evaluate and I had to go back and still there's not much, you're kind of just really taking a gamble here. You might throw a 2.1 and not quite a reject, but then the 2.0 is a reject player. This guy can't play 
on, on this level. They might be a CFL potentially guy, an XFL guy, and that kind of ranges all the way down. I know you mentioned wide receivers, so just to kind of give you an example of where I had guys in buckets this past year, I had very high grades on Jerry Judy, high first-round grade on him. I had a, a, a mid-first-round grade on C.D. Lamb, so I think those guys are potential um, day-one starters. Uh, CDs, um, Jerry's had a little bumps in the road with some quarterback inconsistencies and all types of things, a couple of drops early on in his career. But I, I believe that he is a high impact starter, uh, pretty early in his career. CD lamb was a guy that I was high, but not quite as high as Jerry Judy. I had him and Henry Ruggs actually in the same bucket there. They are impact players as well, but probably more into the secondary role and then moving down, um, into the rest of the draft. I actually had a high second on Jalen Rager. So I thought he was going to be a quality player to a receiving group, but I did not necessarily think that he should be a high volume player, at least early on in his career. And then I'm doing this off the top of my head. So, so forgive me. So I'm thinking about like Michael Pittman was a guy that I was actually a little lower on than some people. I know he went in the second, but I had like a late, actually maybe an early third round grade on him. So I felt like he was a very departmentalized player. I felt like that there was quality to him, but I did not think that he would ever be a first or second option on a team in a passing game potentially. So I felt like he was more of a high end third option type of player. Obviously he's dealt with some injuries, so it's a little early to see on that. Um, so yeah, just, just kind of the most general, I feel like, I feel like I should bring up a PowerPoint for you. It'd probably be a lot clearer and I, I could actually share that with you afterwards if you'd like, but that's kind of just how the scale works all the way down from a 10.0 scale, obviously being that rare player that rarely anybody's ever going to be within like that, in that 9.8 to 10.0 scale. Cause that is our quote unquote true generational players working all the way down to a 3.0, which would be a reject for me. Yep. And what I think is kind of neat, I do think that our scales are pretty, pretty similar. Honestly, I'd say that yeah. the difference is, is, um, I really don't give too much. Cre- I don't really care too much about projected rounds as much as I do, as much as I do for roles. Um, eventually, this um, the other thing is is I'm not sure how you guys do like de- uh, decimals. One of the things about our system is it's almost like designed for a lot for players to be tied. Like there's probably going to be one, maybe two seven point There's probably going to be two to three sets, uh, two to three, six, nine, two to, th- uh, two to three, six, eights, and like probably 10, six, fives, or maybe like, yeah, 10, six, fives to six, fours. So this doesn't, this makes sure this creates like tiered rankings as opposed to rankings. Know so that once it, um, once it gets down to like the uh, nitty gritty in the thirds, fourth, fifth, and sixth round picks, there really isn't all that much difference between a fourth round receiver and a sixth round receiver that doesn't come down to preference. So yeah. that's kind of, um, that's probably the uh, the main difference. But uh, I also think this is like a good chance that both of our, uh, to say that both of our scales come from the NFL and have been tweaked to make, um, to, to make it fit what we understand um, best. And I think that's uh, that's really kind of uh, interesting. If we there ever is like some, as we, what we mentioned with like Jesse and talking about like the great conglomeration of draft websites and uh, putting uh, doing more collaborative work within uh, sites, being able to have like a unified scale would be super crucial to try to reconcile all the differences. 
Yeah, that no, absolutely. Have its scouts. Yeah, no, and it is really interesting. And yes, I, I it's definitely um, my scale that I work with is definitely derived very heavily from the David Turner tree, um, who again, you know, worked 18 years in various spots, and he he had really developed that scale that kind of fit into the culture of each scouting department that he was in. And uh, I, I do think also very, very interesting to see how those scales have developed over, you know, several years. And I, I would love to compare those notes someday. And I can tell you a draft Bible, if you've seen our publication, a lot of times you won't even get like the, the prospect might not have a singular final grade. Cause we have different um, opinions obviously on the staff we have guys that have taken a look at multiple players so we might have like a scale it might say like oh this is a guy's graded between a 7.6 and an 8.4 so that's like it looks like it's a general scale but that's only because there might be some differing opinions on the staff to where we value so like what you were saying like if a guy is a tie quote unquote where we might rank them differently is we have you know meetings where we actually look at our rankings as a staff and we say like that guy I would value him slightly over and you basically it's it's basically like a scouting room right like you're pounding the table this is my guy I think that he should be a little higher than this guy and it's it's very subjective in that sense of like this isn't like just oh here's a here's a 8.73 he's above an 8.72 just strictly we we really try to stay within that framework and that 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 little bit of a difference of that window of scaling between each person's individual perspective. And then we take it to like, it's a scouting department. We'll, we'll slam the table. We'll say, no, no, you're wrong. This guy, this guy's good. And it kind of gives it, I think an authentic feel to what a real scouting department actually looks like. When you said pounding the table, it was really funny. Cause that's the phrase I always hear scouts say, like, don't be afraid to pound the table for your guy. And, um, I just think find that uh, really, really fun and interesting. I'm trying to um, think of ways that we can kind of um, add pounding the table in to our collective <laughs> uh, scouting process. Cause by all accounts, like, cause whether it's with uh, Neil Stratton's little uh, get together, um, fourth quarter get togethers or um, people that I've just been able to talk to from uh, building connections and come talking with so many people in the scouting industry is like they, they always give like similar uh similar advice i mean at first it's like the the generic stuff of like you work work hard always break down the film always be the be like a good a good person don't make enemies make friends that kind of stuff but then when mm -hmm. you you get in there they always say like one, you're, like you're a scout, you're not making the decisions, but also don't be afraid to pound the table for your guy. And that if you, and that for young scouts, like in their first couple years, like with an NFL team, the quickest and easiest way for them to get recognized and promoted is for them to hit on the sixth rounder, seventh rounders, the high priority free agents, the pr uh, priority free agents. Whoever that scout was with the New England Patriots who found Malcolm Butler probably still has a job. Who, if that guy pounded the table for him, if that guy got him on the team, and that, um, and then Malcolm Butler does what he does, yeah, that guy's still in the that guy's still in the NFL. But the guy who's either too much, uh, too much of an ass, or always pushing his players and, um, acting like he's making the decisions and stepping on people's toes, or the guy that's too timid to stand up for his own guys, and it's like, I like this guy, but 
um, those guys will probably be in and out of the league shortly. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's um, and one thing that really kind of resonated with me when you were talking was, you know, one thing that I've heard from multiple people that have been in the in the industry is you have to pound the table for your guy, at, but you want to make sure that you're pounding the table for the right people, right? You don't want to put you you need to make sure that your name is going on the line for the correct people. Like you said with Malcolm Butler, the guy that pounded the table for him. Because you, you're only remembered for your um, the the last thing you did, right? That's kind of like the renewal of contracts and all that type of thing. And the thing that has stuck with me through talking to so many people, again, that have been in the industry, is you – when you're making – when you are I'm – I'm sorry. I'm trying to phrase this the best I can. So – you don't make your money in the first round of the draft, right? Scouts don't make their money. They make their money on day three. They make the money in the pounding of the table. But like David would tell me when he was in the room with Al Davis, right? Like you were very tentative on putting too many guys out there because eventually guys are going to stop listening to you. Just believe in your process and the players. You have to have a really strong feeling about a guy. And when you put somebody out there, just remember, and this is for people that are maybe younger in this, is when you're putting your name on a guy, your name is associated with him forever, right? Like that that Oakland, that Raiders staff that drafted Jamarcus Russell, that's always going to stick with them, man, because that, that was their guy. Just make sure, again, you're pounding the table for the right people at the right times, and you're not making your money on the first day of the draft. Make sure that you are opening up your scope to all these different types of prospects because you never know where a guy's going to come from. That, that old adage, like if, if you're good, they'll find you. It is true. It is absolutely true. So again, making your money on the third day of the draft, that's what makes the scouting process and the scouting department so vital for team success. Absolutely. And then what is it? It's pretty much the head coaches and the GMs. Uh, I've, I've heard people kind of like describe it as like, um, the scouts will have like their, their they'll put like together their board, but then like the top 100 is completely switched up. The <laughs> defense coordinator will be like, I like this guy, but he's a coke addict. I like him anyway. <laughs> and then they'll just shut. They'll put the um. Well, they'll sh- they'll shoot guys. They'll shoot guys up because they fit their system. The coaches, the GMs, they'll be they'll have their guys. They'll have their players that they want in the first three rounds. But by the time round five round five comes around, everyone just they're all just throwing, they're just throwing darts. They, they haven't been able to watch what Isaiah, Kaf, the who, whoever that linebacker is from BYU, the Kafusi, Kafusi. Yeah. yeah. Um, like the guys that are just, that shoot up to being a fourth or fifth rounder, they, they aren't watching all of them. So that's, sure. that would, uh, that'll be your chance to um, shoot up. So yeah, general scouting advice. Don't just be the guy who scouts the top 100. You you have to be able to um be able to to, to develop a feel for what uh, who is a player who's going to stick on an NFL roster and who is going to be able to um who's not going to be able to make 53 a 53 man roster by year two. And I I know like Paul you you were in the one um seminar that we had uh, with some of the smaller school guys right so like. Yeah. That's an opportunity, not only because like, yes, I am scouting those guys because I'm interested in them. Something about their game did stand out, whether that is in the box score to start the scouting process or that was just a highlight and seeing something where I want to take a deeper dive into them. But that seminar was as much for me as it was. 
for the listeners and all the people on YouTube and the families, I wanted to get an inside glimpse into them as people as well. So we talked about like the multi-layer scouting process. Like I wanted to get an inside look at the Jaquan Hardy. I wanted to get an inside look at the Zach Davidson. I wanted to hear them talk about football, hear how much they love it. There's so many different things that go into scouting. It's not just, hey, Zach Davidson, six six plus 240 pounds average 20 yards a catch can punt as well i've heard him and i know what type of person he is a little better than i did before it started so that stuff is that's the fun stuff for me too and that's why i've done so many interviews and i've tried to set up those seminars i love getting an inside look into the person because it's very important that we're not we're not just drafting a player to be in an organization it's a player it's a person it's it's an identity that they need to fit into Yes, the people that we are scouting and criticizing and praising are not just um, zeros and ones <laughs> on your Madden game. They have yes. moms, they have grandmoms, they have their favorite Taco Bell order. Like, and that's that that is something that is like the next level of scouting, and it's something that's so difficult um, as like casual scouts to get to get. Because I mean, unless you're going to do a lot of effort Instagram stalking, which you actually can find a lot more than you than you um think by doing some good old fashioned Instagram stalking. But yeah, that just adds like a whole nother another level of of scouting. Like you could even maybe try to like forecast what kind of players are going to be friends with um players that are already on the team. Like when we were talking with Jaquan Hardy, we'll talk more about Jaquan Hardy because I wrote a scouting report on him. Jaquan Hardy says. When he's not playing football, he lo- he loves his video games. Like he might be the kind of guy who might start a Twitch channel when he gets on the um when he gets on an NFL team. And if you know that, hey, the uh, the backup running back on the team who's also a real good leader and a real good type of team guy also has like a Twitch channel and likes video games, you can almost like that they're going to be friends. Uh, this could also be like hugely important for like dealing with like tr- uh troublesome players i know the uh, browns they draft uh they drafted antonio callaway with with the intention that they thought jarvis landry was going to keep him straight granted he didn't keep him straight but they did their research on him as a person and found stuff similarities between their characters and anticipated that they would be that um and i believe that they like anticipated that they would be able to get along so Mm -hmm. there's so much more you can like get from character that, that is like just that we barely even have access to that i don't even have the time to even get to for like our scouting uh our scouting guide and that's but it's but it's super important knowing that zach davidson never even played tight end in height barely even played tight end in high school you can kind of see oh this guy has a real good chance um if he develops then well yeah he has more room to develop than somebody who knows the position and knows all the steps yeah no absolutely and and that's that's the stuff that i try to get as much as I can because again, we don't have the, as independent scouts, you don't have the the access to everything. Cause I mean, NFL teams are hiring like FBI agents to do background checks on guys, you know, like they have all that opportunity to figure out and do some deep diving into players. And they have technologies that can search anything on their social medias to find anything that might be alarming. Like they can find out all that stuff on a player for me, like, Jesse Fritch is a guy too, right? For like the database stuff that he, that he can put a lot of stuff in there about like some of their characters, some of their family life, all that type of stuff. But there's that interaction between two people when you're doing an interview or you're just listening to someone talk. 
in some type of capacity. Obviously, we're all on Zoom right now, you know, for all those types of seminars and stuff. But like you can still hear how players carry themselves, how much they love the game. Like, I mean, you heard like Jaquan, right? Like we're talking about Jaquan Hardy again, and even Kenny Randall that plays at Charleston. Like those dudes love football, man. Like you could just hear it in their voice at, at mm-hmm. every second. And then we saw like Derek Young from Lenore Ryan, who's much more like cool, calm and collected. He's not like, he's not like a jokester. He didn't sound at least from like my interaction with him, but a guy like Jaquan, like it's very easy. The moment that you sit down with him to see like, he's very laid back and he's willing to, open up a little bit and tell you exactly how much he loves the game. And I, I think that that mm-hmm. stuff's really refreshing. Yeah. Like, Oh, just, just being able to hear things like ex, uh, people being extroverted or introvert introverted. Like, yeah. Kenny Randall came off as extroverted, but also kind of had like a goofy fun, goofy fun guy kind of, uh, type of person, like the exact kind of guy that would be really fun to hang out with on a Friday night. Um, absolutely. And then Jaquan had was definitely very um, extroverted, but he didn't really have that same goofy vibe. He he just came off as uh, like more the the more like religious kind of um, like just generally very wholesome person. And then uh, Dorit came off as very quiet, reserved, going to be very studious. So uh, the kids these days call it um, finding a person's vibe, and that's that's still very crucial. So. Um, I think now would be a good time to like go over some of the players that we have both scouted and uh, both like. Um, sure. I'll talk a little bit about Jaquan Hardy. I plan on having a longer podcast where um, with Searle coming uh, the next one where we talk about the smaller school players that we scouted and um, the challenges we had scouting small, scholar, smaller school players. But what was your uh, general thought of Jaquan Hardy on, uh, on the field and where do you have him graded out? Um, I mean, so I don't, I don't have an official grade on him yet. Um, I do have the film on him. I've, I've gotten glimpses of him, uh, but I don't have a report fully um, devoted to him yet. I will say early impressions. I gave him kind of this comp when we did an interview t- together. This is a completely stylistic uh, comp. That's all my comparisons. I, I'm not a guy that's going to predict outcomes. Obviously, I'm not a fortune teller. But for me, his running style reminded me of Devonta Freeman to a degree. I think that he runs pretty similarly. I think he has really nice contact balance. He's got pretty flexible lower half. He's able to change direction relatively well. Hasn't had an impact in the passing game, which is like we heard in the interview, like mostly maybe just the offensive structure and design. I, I think that I will probably have, if not a late draftable grade on him, I, he strikes me as a guy that will have a very high priority free agency grade on him because I think that he does have nice traits. The question that I'm going to have for him is what type of athlete is he? Because I think that he's a good athlete. Is he a next-level standout athlete? Is he a guy that can can settle on some of the merits of just being more athletic than some players? I don't think so. I think he just strikes me as a a grinder type of running back. And then at that point, if that's what his role is, trying to be a depth piece into a running back room, what's your impact on special teams? I think that's going to be a huge determiner. And then what is his impact potentially on third downs structurally uh, into the offense as well? So I think there's some things that have yet to be answered for Jaquan Hardy, but I do like the running style. I do like the physicality that it runs with. And I think that he does have really nice contact balance on the level. Absolutely. I have, uh, I for one am a lot more sold on his athleticism. Uh, I think he's going to run four five, four fives. I think he, with him, he at like 220. So 
that kind of makes him a guy where I'm saying, okay, this guy has an NFL-ready height, weight, speed. So I think the athleticism is at least there to be a star, uh, to be a starting running back, whether it's a great starting running back. I think uh, that aspect of it is something that I am comfortable pound, uh, pounding the table on it. If you can find his, um, he had a 94-yard run. I forget if it was against Cutstown or uh, Findlay. You could probably you could see it pretty easy in the game by game, uh, the the game stats. But he was flying. He was flying. He consistently outruns, um, beats linebackers to the corner, and it's not even close, and just blows by de- defensive backs. And was, yeah, was I that know- the game where he had? Um, was that the game where he had like a 93 yard run or whatever? 94 it was? yard was run. One? Yeah. 94. Yeah. And. So, yeah, that made me think that, yeah, this guy, I think, has a chance at running 4-5 and being an NFL-type athlete. But the big concern for me is um, whether or not that knee that he has. He um, he injured his knee his junior seat, um, his sophomore season, but then came back and played his junior year. But um, he, he said in an interview that he has, like, only 20 to 30% of his meniscus left. And that's kind of concerning. And obviously... I wouldn't know what to do with him on third down because he did not look very comfortable pass protecting and he was never given a chance to showcase his hands. So the fact that you have a essentially a two down back, which alone isn't all that valuable in today's NFL, a two down back who can have good contact balance, good speed and good power. Yeah, that's nice. But him not having that like extra little thing to separate himself from every other running back that's good at running the ball is kind of what what concerns me. But from like we saw from the interview, he's definitely a standout guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, and and that's that's the big. It's going to be a big determiner. I feel like some people also don't talk about this enough. Is guys that are gambled on late on day three this special teams impact is such a big thing because those guys are the depth pieces that are going to need to be potentially be maybe even be four team special teamers. So a guy like a Jaquan Hardy, if he's drafted in the sixth or seventh round, let's say is kind of a gamble piece because he's got really nice stats and maybe he, maybe you're right. Maybe he, he goes and he runs a lot faster than I think he's going to run. And then you're looking at a four or five athlete at 220 pounds. Hey, in theory, that sounds like a guy that could play special teams, but if you haven't seen it yet, then you're going to really have to gamble on those traits. And then his ability to make a roster spot in a camp is going to be dependent on, Hey, it's not just, Oh, that looked like that was a great run in team that you had yesterday. That was a good pass protection in the, in the one-on-ones you did a good job with the hands and in our running back drills. It's also working with the special teams coach and figuring out what type of impact he potentially have. Exactly. It's really kind of hard to evaluate a running back and figure out if a guy can tackle, <laughs> But it's, exactly. it can it, it can be it can be the difference between having um being an accountant in three years or still being on a team. I mean, uh, Gary Dieter, guy a uh, guy that I um, went to school with, he's been on the Chiefs for four four years, almost exclusively as a practice squad person and a special teamer, all because of special teams work and what and what he does in the locker room, and it, it absolutely can happen. Yeah. Uh, let's go. Let's go with another. Um, what's like a player that's been go- um that you have as a first rounder? Um, have you, are you familiar with Dylan Moses? What are your thoughts on him? All right. So I guess I don't know if this is a hot take for some people. I I do not have a first rounder on Dylan Moses. I. 
Uh, so he's a guy obviously that missed 2019 with the injury, right? With the lower le- with the leg injury and 2018 film, I didn't really like that much. I mean, I understand that he's pre- he's balanced, he's instinctive to a degree. I know that when he unhinges and he's able to transition laterally, he's an ex- super explosive athlete. I 100 100% understand why Dylan Moses is so warranted by some people, but if you're going to his tape now this year. People are like, he doesn't look that good. For me, he looks the same. I, I think that he does not have the best instincts in the world. I think that he's a tick slow reading and then transitioning from his trigger step downhill or laterally. And for as good an athlete as Dylan Moses is, I'm still waiting for some impact in the passing game. Obviously, he's a guy when he was a true freshman in Alabama, they would put him down on the edge sometimes and just let him rush the passer. And I at the time, I was like, wow, he can do so many things. But now looking back on it, that may have been more a uh, a negative to the pass to his as a pass coverage player. And I'm just looking. I'm just like, he's a tick slow in the run game. He doesn't really affect the passing game a lot. I still am going to have a second round grade on him just because he's such an explosive athlete that you can project him to fixing some of those things. But for me, it's easier. And this is another scouting tidbit, I guess. It's easier to slow someone down than to speed someone up. It's not mm-hmm. the fact of that he's not fast and he can't run. He can run for days. He's going to run in the four fives, absolutely. He's a tick slow, though. And, and for him, I would want him to be a guy that maybe is over-aggressive at times and he's a little too fast to transition downhill because, hey, that athlete, I can turn that back a little bit. I can make him a little more patient. I can reel him back. It's a lot harder to, to to really say like, hey, man, you're a tick slow. You need to pick that stuff up and then speed somebody up. That usually doesn't work out too great. So I'm a little lower on Dylan Moses than some people are right now. Uh, I, I I love it when I'm talking. Uh, this kind of goes back to like talking about uh, having friends to talk about with football. I'm pulling up my, uh, my report that I did on Dylan Moses and mm-hmm. – um, it's kind of, it's so it's so similar. My first thing I said in areas to improve, an absolute liability in zone coverage, blows assignments and looks lost at times. And then uh, I said a bit slow to diagnose plays and react accordingly. Absolutely. But, yeah. So that that's why, why this is why you're good, Paul. You get it, man. You get it right there. Uh huh. And so that's why um that's why I was kind of a little hesitant on Dylan Moses was um. I didn't see it, but then I'm also have to tell myself that this was like his sophomore tape. Like the guy's like 19. And so it's like, I have to do a double projection. I have to project what he would, how he would have developed last year and then project how he's going to develop this year to project how he needs to go into the, into the pros. And then it's like, yeah, I don't see some of the, like I said, some of the slowness and reactiveness, the mental mistakes, the zone coverage. But then when I see, phenomenal athlete fantastic burst mm-hmm. all that stuff it makes me say hey the guy was not a first rounder in the tape that i saw but try to say that he's going um but i um i projected yeah let's see what my projection moses is a tough project to project because he hasn't played since 2018 i have not watched any 2020 tape on him if he didn't lose any of his explosiveness after the acl expect him to break out in 2020 dominate the combine and be selected in the first round teams are going to love his speed and how he tackles he pro profiles as a player who can play micro will at the next level and may even be able to rush the passer occasionally but that's all like assuming that he improves his pass coverage i um 
I take it he really hasn't done that so far his senior year from what you're saying. Yeah, everything just looks a little little fast for him right now. You know, everything looks like it's moving at 100 miles an hour. And, and that Alabama defense is honestly in, in a lot of spurts just not looked great so far from what I've seen. Uh, obviously, I'm hoping that down the stretch he changes the uh, changes the narrative a little bit. But right now, like, he just looks like the same guy. And I felt like people going into last season and obviously this season now since him coming back from the injury – People were really, like you, projecting to a large degree, like, this guy's his caliber of athlete. He can get here. He can get here. But at what point am I going to pick this up and am I going to get faster? Like, it's not it's not even not faster as in he can run because we know he can run. That, But there's that IQ part of the game. There's that football uh, intelligence and ability to diagnose – that isn't as easy quantifiable as, hey, this guy is big, this guy is fast. There has to be that little twitch in their minds transitioning from post-trigger to either transitioning downhill or flipping your hips and finding your landmark. There has to be something that we can't – it's very subjective to seeing on film that, hey, that guy understands where he needs to be and how quickly he needs to get there. Yep, it doesn't matter how fast uh, fast you are when you're running. If your if your feet are still because you're re- if you're you're trying to see where the ball is going, you're not moving you're not moving anywhere. And that was just a thing. It was just you should be you should be one step in that direction, but your feet are still together. And those one steps, yeah, he can make it up long. The, the he can make it up if it's a long if he can use his long speed to get there, but. Sometimes just hesitating for a half step is all it takes, especially in the NFL when everybody's as fast as you, to not be able to be where you uh, where you need to go. Uh, is there any other um, is there any uh, player that you feel that um, uh, we always talk about your guys, the player that you're pounding the table for? Me personally, I try to avoid that kind of your guy type uh, mentality. I just try to say what the player is, but it's so hard because you, you do fall in love with guys on tape. You do fall in love with guys by learning about them. Who do you have as your guy that you have is maybe like a round or two higher than what most of the rest of the draft community has? So, I mean, I, there's a few guys that I think are in that bucket for me. Uh, if I have to pick one and I, it's, it's changed. Cause you know, you know, you know, you being on Twitter, right. People's opinions change so fast. A guy has a good game, and then they're like, oh, first rounder, first rounder, throw it on him. Like, and before the season, nobody was even talking about him. That guy, for me, has been J.C. Horn. I had a first-round grade on J.C. Horn going into the season. I was absolutely infatuated with his game because I felt like there was so much from a press man technique Strictly at the line of scrimmage, patience, I felt was just phenomenal. And then you talk about the NFL bloodlines. You talk about the, the the ability he has as an athlete. Like, I just felt like it was all there. And I saw – and in South Carolina's games last year, a lot of games, it can almost put you to sleep because you're just evaluating footwork and you're not evaluating ball skills because nobody wants to throw at the guy. You just uh. – it was, it was clearly the best corner on the team. Everybody fell in love with Israel McQuarrie in the summer. But – Israel McQuamu had a bunch of interceptions and pass breakups last year because, hey, people weren't throwing at J.C. Horn. They were throwing at Israel McQuamu. So I feel like Horn was really undervalued because he went into the season. You're just like, I, oh, he doesn't have ball production. He doesn't have ball skills. Well, no, that's not true. If you watch his film, when he makes plays on the football, he can he makes plays. He has a wide receiver background. The fact mm-hmm. is, though, 
he's not getting tested much. And then he has that game against Auburn where everyone's watching him against Seth Williams. And I think on like eight targets against Seth Williams, he gave up one catch, had two interceptions, broke up five passes, like absolutely an incredible game. And then everyone after that game's like, oh, wow, yeah, J.C. Horn's really good. And then, like, the draft network, not to throw them under the bus, but, like, they had him at, like, the 120th ranked player, I think, going into the season. And then after that Auburn game, he went up to 30. I was like, dude, you just you improved him by 90 spots off of one game. Maybe you were just missing it a little bit in the summer. Then, of course, you know, Stephon Gilmore tweets out his guy because they're both South Carolina guys. So, I mean, but J.C., I don't think anybody would have had J.C. in the first-round conversation and um, leaving the, the summer. I don't. Th- I didn't see anybody even have really a top two round grade on J.C. Horn leaving the summer. So I guess, in that respect, to your to your um to your description of of the my guy, right? I, I guess the J.C. Horn would definitely be my guy because he's only improved. Well, not even improved what I thought because he's right on par with what I expected of him. But everybody else now is kind of clamoring to him being one of the top maybe two or three corners in the class. Oh yeah, uh, man. All right, other piece of cornerback advice. Do not write scouting reports off of corners or safeties off of three or four games of film. you got to be a five or six. I'm watching – the guy I'm watching right now is Trey Brown, and I've watched three games of him, and I've only seen, like, five targets. It's just been, like, up there – up, the guy guy runs a vertical route. Trey Brown is fast, and he's right there with him. (laughs) Up, some guy runs a slant on him, and he's getting a little too handsy again. He might be a liability for holding cults in the NFL. He's fast. He's handsy. <laughs> and it's just like you but he, there's just, he's very fast though. He's like a he's like a four three kid from what I understand. So he's definitely got that working for him. Yeah, but it's just like it can be really difficult to watch um safeties and corners just because there can be such long periods where they don't even get target targeted and don't have a chance to display their ball skills. So yeah, never don't don't fall in love with the corner off of three games of tape because it might be that fourth game that you watch where he gets torched for 80 yards and two touchdowns. And that could totally <laughs> change your evaluation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's there's some positions more than others that are they they really stress your patience, like you're saying, you know, like cornerback, sometimes offensive guard for me can be that to a degree, right? Depending on what the system is. There's some positions that definitely need more film work than others because they might not be as, as super active. Cornerbacks and safeties, hey, if you're a, if you're a deep safety, right? If you're a guy that's going to play center field role, potentially single high, doing all that type of stuff, you're a deep coverage safety. You're an Eddie Jackson for the Chicago Bears. You might be waiting a couple of games until he's tested or that he's running the alley, depending on what's around him. So there are definitely positions that you really need to really exert a, a, a discipline to understanding, hey, this guy is doing his job. It might not be flashy, but then, hey, there's that flash play. Now I'm starting to see it a little bit. Now I can see in this system particularly, he's going to be a damn good football player. So there's definitely some positions that you need to just take a step back and say, okay, I see it now. I see it. All right. We're an hour 10, hour 10 in. Let's uh, try to uh, summarize what I think were like the biggest points of advice that we, we've been we've been get, uh, given out. Um, I think the number one thing, and this is something I think I've said in almost all of the podcast, um, all of the podcasts, scheme is important. Know what the uh, value, what the player does more than what the player isn't able to do. If a player isn't really asked to do something, you can't really ha- uh, hammer, um, 
criticize him for it because it might be a coaching uh, coaching decision. I think that uh, that was kind of a big uh, big emphasis that you would agree with. What do you yes. think was the uh, other big lesson we've uh, I, other I, big lesson? I think I think a part of that maybe we didn't even touch on it as much is in the respect of understanding schemes, I think it's important to understand that you don't know everything and that you can always improve as an evaluator and you can always take and like, I mean, I bug people all the time that guys are maybe a little more specific to certain positions that they specialize in. And I'll ask them questions and maybe even coaches like about scheme and all that type of stuff. I think if you really love this and you really love evaluating and scouting, it's okay to understand that you don't know everything. Understand what people know and take what they have. And if you love something, you're going to continue to strive to be better at it. So I think it's just understanding that you don't know everything and then being selfless enough to ask for help about certain positions or certain stylistic approaches. Yep. Understand Steakeem. Never stop learning. There's so many people on Twitter. There's a lot. There's lots of furloughed, furloughed scouts, a lot of people who are out there who I'm sure would be happy to um, answer some questions for y'all. And then, yep. And don't uh, don't evaluate a corner after three games <laughs> <laughs> or four. All right. Uh, any Anything else you'd like um, like to to uh, bring up any other thing that you think uh, the scouts at home watching would like to know? Um, I, I think, I think really just te- uh, w- just using your eyes and not always just watching where the ball goes. I mean, I think that that is like, it goes to be said, right? Like if we're evaluating offensive linemen to a degree, but I feel like some people that were, when we grow up, we're so, program to just watch where the football goes you want to learn a ton about football and a ton in a really small amount of time just watch an offensive line strictly don't even watch the football watch where all the action is up front I feel like that very easily because I know offensive line scouting for some people is very difficult because maybe they didn't play it and they don't understand it technically and then our eyes aren't really trained to watch just the offensive line if you watch up front you'll quickly understand why players are down blocking zone steps all that type of stuff so I think just being able to really just take your eye off the ball understand all aspects of the game is is something that should be really a high point of emphasis in order to learn quicker all right well, that's uh, well, yep, that's exactly what this podcast is for. We we all want to be get better at scouting. I know a lot of us want to either get be an NFL scout or be more respected in the scout uh, scouting media landscape. And then the, these are the these are the places to do to do so. All right, uh, Ryan, what are your uh, do you have any so uh, socials or projects or podcasts of your own that you would like to plug? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So if um, you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Rise N Draft, the letter N Draft on Twitter. Uh, scouting coordinator over at NFL Draft Bible, like Paul introduced earlier, uh, NFLDraftBible.com. We have a lot of great seminars, accesses that you can that you can um, purchase. So, uh, some of the seminars we do, Friday Night Scout School every Friday with David Turner. Um, breaking down all, all the positions you need to know. We're getting into the business side of football very soon here as well. Uh, we do scouting seminars with Brian Baldinger every th- third Wednesday. Um, so definitely take a look at that. I also do a podcast called Believe an NFL Draft Prospect Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network with Joe DeLeon and Alex Gilstrap that, that is released every week. We have a Tuesday show. And then Thursday, we also have a interview segment for um, a prospect for either the 2021 or 2022 NFL Draft. 
And then I just started. I know it's it's Saturday right now while we're recording. Tonight is a big game for Notre Dame against uh, University of Clemson in South Bend, Indiana. I just started Locked On Irish on the Locked On Podcast Network covering Notre Dame football and Notre Dame athletics also. So if you want to check that out, I would definitely recommend and uh, just appreciate all the support that everyone gives out there. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, Ryan, for uh, coming on for our 10th episode. And thank you guys very much for listening. Uh, I am at the footpaw on Twitter. If you have any um, if you have any advice or feedback, I'd be happy to hear it from you there. Uh, thank you guys and have a blessed rest of your uh, blessed rest of your day. Blessed rest of your life. Thank you, guys.